I really appreciated what Jonathan said about that we want to go slowly. Uh, typically, when you come to church, you hear somebody go through a book of the Bible, and you kind of go verse by verse or chapter by chapter, depending on how quickly they go. What we want to be doing in this series is have an overview of what the Bible teaches about how change occurs. And uh, I think that we all want to change. We all want to be accepted for the way that we are, but we also want to change. And it's difficult to know how. And so we've tried to break this down into kind of a logical, biblical process that we think is really going to transform your life and equip you to be able to help others. The process of change can be broken down into three stages and is based on Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says, repent and believe the good news. There's three things going on there. There's good news, there's the truth of God that we repent and believe towards. And so if we think about change, the way that the Bible describes change is you hear God's truth, you repent, which whatever that means, and then believe. And so that is actually a process of how change occurs, and we're calling that the resurrection path. Now, in each stage of this truth, repentance, and faith, this is to confuse you, so you've got to focus for a minute here. In each one of those three stages, there's three steps. There's going to be a test at the end of the sermon. Make sure you get all this. But there's three steps inside of each one of those stages. And they follow this death and resurrection path that we're talking about. The way that the world describes change is according to self-improvement. You set a goal, and then you develop an action plan and some logical steps to get there. The difference between the way that we typically think of change and the way the Bible describes change is the difference between adding something to your life and trading something. Let me explain what this means. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a little older now. And so what it feels like sometimes is that as I try to be more like Jesus and to be a kinder, more loving person, I feel the pressure to keep adding more and more things to my life, that I should be kinder and wiser and more disciplined, and the list goes on and on and on. In the Bible, there's 600 commandments, so good luck with that. And it feels as though we're just always adding stuff. What the Bible describes as change is not so much addition as trading, where we die to one thing and embrace another. So the idea is not that our arms get fuller and fuller of new things that we need to be doing, but that what God actually invites us to do is to let go of some stuff so that we can receive his better stuff. Resurrection life can't be experienced without a grave. Something needs to die first before we can receive the good news that God would want to give us. Now, for many people, this is, uh, this is hard to understand. It's hard to understand for me. But it feels like coming to Jesus is kind of like a shopping cart. And I've got all kinds of other great things in there. And I saw some stuff online and looked up some YouTube clips. And, and oh, and Jesus is also helpful. So I'm going to put him in the basket. And I uh, hear this Holy Spirit thing. I don't really know what he does. But anyways, we'll stick him in there too. And we're just going to kind of go through life collecting stuff that we think is going to help us become better people. 
And the Bible comes along and says, uh, what I'd like you to do, stage one, is dump out your shopping cart. Just dump that sucker out and let's start from zero so that I can give to you the things that I long to give you, that I'm not just an addition to your good ideas, but I can actually transform you from the inside out because you've given me complete reign over your life. And so what we're doing is we're looking at this death and resurrection idea, trading our stuff for God's good news. We're going to look at that three times in terms of truth, where we're going to be trading our assumptions and ideas for God's truth. Repentance, we're going to be giving up our self-centered desires for God's desires. And faith, where we're going to be trading our fears for trust in him. And so we're going to make these three trades, and that's the, the, you know, the meta outline of what we're doing in this series. Where we are right now is in the first stage, the true stage. And what Jonathan talked about last week was uh, how to begin, well, in the week before, actually, how the trade that we're doing in this first stage is trading better beliefs, giving up our old ones, and receiving new things that are so profound, the Bible calls them truth. The first step in this stage, as was talked about last week, is to be aware. I think it's very, very easy to go through life and just do stuff. Not really think about anything very profound, and just do the things that need to be done. I, I want a better job. I'm going to work hard at the work that I have. Uh, I want to get married and have kids. And I'm just living life. And what we are encouraging you to do is to kind of put your life in slow motion and think through why you do what you do. To be self-aware. Another word for that is to be honest. Now, I mean, I... I, I Sometimes I just want to preach a happy sermon, you know? I'd like you all to smile at me, and I'll smile back, and we can have a special moment. And I always say a hard thing. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think we love lying. It begins with almost every conversation. Uh, people come up to us, and they say, how are you doing? And we go, Fine. Like, like lie one, you know, and it just kind of continues on from there. And then we kind of have, a, have an Instagram or Facebook presentation of our lives. Look, I'm smiling here. And oh, look, I'm smiling over here, too. And it has a cool background, if you didn't notice. And we kind of construct this life that isn't true. I mean, it's a little bit true or else we couldn't take the photo. But it's barely true that there's a whole other thing going on inside of our life that isn't like that photo at all. And it's impossible to change without being honest about our sickness. Uh, you're never going to go to a doctor if you think that it's all fine and you're healthy and it's great. You only go to a doctor, you only seek Jesus when you're sick. And so we have the wonderful opportunity to clarify to you your sickness. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the first sickness that we're highlighting 
is that you lie and blame. Other than that, you know, you're doing great. But the first idea is that we, we don't want to say what we're really thinking. We don't want to be honest about our inside thoughts. I, I get the opportunity of, of meeting with many of you, and it, it always feels like a huge privilege. But if I don't know you very well, sometimes the way the conversations start is I ask how you're doing, and of course you'll be fine. But then you won't stop there. You'll keep talking about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, that he's died for your sins and he's been resurrected from the dead, and you're now participating in that resurrection life through the power of his Holy Spirit. And I just praise God today for all of his goodness. And I'm nodding off because I know you're lying to me. <laughs> like, you're just saying stuff. How's it really going? And do you ever tell God how you really feel? I remember going through a difficult time in my life, and I was reading the Psalms. And back then, I didn't believe in being honest. I believed in being religious. And so I was going through a tough time, and I didn't want to admit that because that's embarrassing and who wants to be needy. And so I'm reading the Psalms, and this is what I did. I was, it was an angry phase, but I've got over it, don't worry. But what I did is I took my highlighter, it's just, I took my highlighter and I put huge X's through the Psalms. I was a little, you know, I, but I have worked it through, so I'm <laughs> over that phase, it was a while ago. But I just go, faithless David, didn't believe in God and the resurrection life. And I just put X's through it because I was so afraid to have a transparent and real Christianity. I didn't know how to do that. I thought if I'm weak, it just is going to make me more vulnerable, more depressed. I don't want to go there. And as a result, I didn't know how to let Jesus into the darkest parts of my life. The first step toward change is having a problem and being aware of it. I mean, you already have the problem, but it's being aware of that problem and admitting it's true. And so what Jonathan did in the last two weeks is take us through this cycle of separation. And I'm sorry I can't go through that again. Three weeks is too many to repeat on one topic. But what we wanted you to understand, and I would really like to drive this point home today, that if typically if we talk about problems in our life, we talk about a particular situation, you know, otherwise known as our spouse, <laughs> or, our, you know, or our boss, or our friend that we now don't like. And we typically describe our problems in terms of a specific situation. Now, the reason why we talked about this cycles of separation is we wanted you to be able to think of your problems not as specific instances, but as patterns. That there is a way that the enemy works in your life that is consistent. So uh, what this does, when you begin to see your problems as a pattern instead of a circumstance, is it takes you out of blaming others and saying, hold on here. The common denominator between all of these examples of this problem is me. I'm the common denominator. That's better that's more honest, because now uh, you're owning your part in it. And since you're owning your part, it means that you can change. You can't change what other people do, but you can change what you do. 
patterns are super helpful. Can you grab hold of that? So if you go, what's wrong with my life, and you name people, you haven't been fully honest. There's a deeper thing going on that's a pattern for how the enemy tempts you and distracts you and calls you to look beyond outside of God's truth and to find different ways of coping with life. I thought, again, Jonathan just gave some excellent examples in, in his life. I can think of uh, very similar examples in mine, where if I'm under stress, the first thing that I do is I blame myself. It's the first thing that I do. It's my knee-jerk reaction. If you would have tried harder, if you would have been smarter, it would have gone better for you. That's a pattern in my life. It's not about this person or this person or that circumstance. It's the way that the enemy tempts me to distract me from what's true. So as we become aware, we're now going to look at this week, uh, assess. And they all begin with A, and so that makes it special. Uh, once we are aware of what we believe, we then need to assess those thoughts. Now, here's the problem. To be aware, to be honest, you kind of have to suspend judgment for a minute. Because if you're, nobody wants to be honest and just get nailed right away. And so you have to be able to say, to be honest with you, this is how I'm really doing. And we need to be able to pause in that moment and just say, that's my reality. It's not the best reality, it's just mine. But if we stay there, that's depressing. And so we need to be able to now, just as we suspend a judgment for a minute to be transparent, we now need to assess, to say uh, that maybe my honesty isn't always true. It's just my experience of reality. Doesn't mean it's the true definition, it's just mine. Um, do you know that there's a difference between honesty and truth? Honesty is you being honest about your experience. But that honesty is based on your assumptions, not on the truth of God's word. And so some people will say to me, look, I'm just being honest. And I go, you know, well done. But, uh, but there's, something, there's something beyond that that, uh, that will set you free. And it's having the courage to ask this question. Is what I believe true? Is what I believe true? Now, if you're like me, you'll say, well, I'm just basing what I think and believe on facts. It's just the facts. That's all I'm, that's all I'm talking about. I don't know if there's any history majors here, but you know this. That there's no such thing as a sterile retelling of the past. There's always bias. And our experience is full of biases. And to simply say that you're being factual is a little bit naive. So, how then do we assess whether our beliefs are true or not? There's two ways that we're going to do this, and this is when we're going to jump back into God's Word. The first is looking at the source. In Matthew 21, 23, Jesus is teaching, and the religious leaders of the day ask him this, by what authority are you doing these things? By what authority are you teaching this stuff? Now, this is, and then he goes on to say, um, well, I'll tell you by what authority I'm teaching if you tell me what the source is. 
of, uh, of what John the Baptist did, and he, he tripped them up. It was really ingenious. But uh, follow me now on this. The first way that we evaluate our beliefs is according to where they came from, not what we're actually believing. We evaluate our beliefs first by their source before their content. This is super helpful. The little phrase that we have is source precedes content. If you are a judge and somebody comes up to be a witness on some crime, the judge doesn't have to listen to the content of that witness if a lawyer discredits the source. Source is more important than content because it doesn't matter what they say. If they're not a credible source, the judge can dismiss them. The same will be true with a journalist. A journalist might have an outstanding so uh, story, but if it's not a reliable source, they can never share the story. Source always matters more than content. For example, if I say that I'm God, that's funny. If Jesus says he's God, we worship him. The person who says something matters more than what's being said. Do you understand that? So uh, the people in Jesus' day understood this, and so they asked him over and over again, what is your source or what is your authority for what you're saying? And Jesus would consistently reply, I don't speak on my own accord. I speak what the Father tells me to speak. Source is always more important than content. The reason why this is great is because it gets exhausting analyzing every single one of our ideas. You know, is this right? Is this right? Well, what, you know, we, it's simpler to say, where did that idea come from? And knowing where something came from, you can dismiss a whole chunk of your thoughts simply by understanding where they came from, and it was not God's word. So we are untrustworthy sources of beliefs because we're ignorant and we're biased. Again, I'm just here to encourage you today. We're ignorant. We just hardly know anything, right? Like, how much do you know, really? I won't, I won't parade you up here and do are you, you know, smarter than a grade five, whatever that show is. But uh, <clears throat> we just don't know much. And the things that we do know, we're incredibly biased. Have you ever noticed how when you tell a story of something uh, that's gone wrong, how... For some reason, what comes out of your mouth is you put yourself in the best possible light. It's just ingenious how we do that. Yeah, this is really hard, but I'm mostly innocent. And here's how that's true. We're unreliable sources of truth. So we live most of our lives guessing. Stumbling through life in our ignorance and biases, trying to make sense of life. No wonder we're anxious. No wonder we're confused. It's because we're basing the, our life trajectory on our own opinions and ideas. 
Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Kind of feels right when I tell my story. The only problem is it ends in death, alienation, separation. In contrast, God is a better source. Isaiah 55, 9 says this. Oops, I don't have it on my notes. There we go. Isaiah 55, 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I can't think of a more encouraging thing to tell you. That there's better thoughts out there than yours. That is like super good news. Because I know my thoughts, and they're kind of... God's thoughts are incredible. Incredible. So far above our thoughts and our ways, our opinions, our biases, our ignorance. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching Rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I can't tell you how grateful I am for the Bible. I am overwhelmed with gratitude. His word keeps me sane because otherwise I'm guessing every day and making stuff up. Now, some of you struggle with reading the Bible. I struggle with it now and then too. If you got in touch with how ignorant and biased your thoughts are, you would devour this thing. The problem is not that it's boring. The problem is you're still impressed with your thoughts. And I can, of course, help you with that. If, uh, if you would like to sit down with me, I would be more than happy to enlighten you on your ignorance. <laughs> and maybe you'll love the Bible after. I don't know. <clears throat> maybe you won't come to our church anymore. <clears throat> but can I tell you, this is salvation. I am delivered from my ignorance by his truth. I am delivered. But what do I have to do? I have to die to my opinions in order to receive his truth. That's the struggle. If I simply treat the Bible as one more addition in my shopping cart, it never has the power to change. It's just another idea. And what I'm doing is I pick and choose the parts of this that I like, and then there were other things that some guru said or whatever, and I like, kind of like that too. And who's deciding in the shopping cart what, quote-unquote, truth we're going to choose right now? Me. So who makes, who is the authority of what's true? Me. Unless I empty the shopping cart, die to my self-centered arrogance, and say, Father, teach me 
Now I'm set free by this truth because it has authority in my life. And it's not just one of many opinions that I consider. So let me ask you a question. Does having one source of truth offend you? Does it offend you? Does it seem narrow-minded? What are you trying to say? That everybody else is, is, you know, dumb and ignorant and... Didn't Buddha have some good things to say? Aren't people genuine? Seems awfully judgmental. Our society feels much more comfortable with a Wikipedia style of truth, where it's open source. And everybody can just throw in stuff, critique it, and the magical hope of Wikipedia is that if you have enough sources, you'll get closer to the truth. There's a verse that sobers me. It says, where is the wise person? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the world, and here's why it's foolish. Listen to this. For the world, through its wisdom, did not know God. Tons of opinions, no revelation on who God really is. So I encourage you to let one source offend you and to submit to that source as life. The first point was source. Second point is outcome. So how do we assess our ideas is we look at where they came from. Did they come from God's word or did we make it up? The second is to look at the outcome. Now, Jonathan talked a little bit about this last week, so I won't talk so long about this one. But the truth is, you and I can twist the Bible. There's a, uh, a New Testament scholar, Scott McKnight, says, everybody picks and chooses. I don't see any women here wearing head coverings <laughs> this morning. Um, we all have certain ideas that we like in the Bible and others that we don't like very much. And so we pick and choose. And we like to say that we're a people of the Bible, but we're a people of the parts of the Bible that we particularly like. And one of the biggest journeys for me is to let God's whole word speak to me and not just the part that I find to be comforting and amusing. So how do we uh, judge whether our understanding of Scripture is true or not. Luke 6.44 tells us exactly what to do because there was a group of people in Jesus' day who would have based all that they believe on the scripture of that day. But this is what he says. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. And what is the fruit of the Bible? 1 Timothy 1.5 says in the New American Standard, it says, the goal of our instruction is love. Okay, let me try to say this as clearly as I can. You and I have misunderstood the Bible if it doesn't lead us toward love and relationship. Is that not profound or what? 
Some people read the Bible and all they see is a whack of laws. All they see is abstract ideas that amuse their minds, that they think about how this could be true and this could be true. And you're missing it. Can't see it. You know that you've grasped the truth of Scripture is if, if it leads you to love and right relationship with God or others. Now you're getting closer to the essence of his word. You all know because we talk about it so much in our church that Matthew 22, 37 to 40 describes the sum of our life calling us to love God and to love others. And this is the truth that leads us toward that. And so if you read the Bible and you feel condemned and alienated, you haven't read it long enough. Because if you saw its true message, it would draw you closer and closer to the living God. Um, my ungodly assumptions always lead me away from God and away from others. God's truth always leads me closer to people and worshiping him. You can decide, you can tell, assess, whether your thoughts are God-given by where they lead you. So the first step is you look at where they came from. The second step is you look at where they lead you towards. And by looking at where they came from and where they lead you towards, you can tell whether you're walking in the truth of God. And as they lead you closer to people, you know that you're understanding the word of God and living in the light of his truth. In conclusion, can I please invite you to have the courage to question your assumptions? Um, I've said this, I just need to say it again. So I've done lots of Bible studies with people over the years, and this is how it looks. This is how a Bible study looks. Uh, we read uh, a passage in Scripture, and then me or the Bible, study, what it, the Bible study leader will ask a question, and here's what everybody does in their mind. Well, this is what I've always thought. I see it happen over and over and over again. And the job of a Bible study leader is, because you say it politely, because you're, you know, that's very interesting, but what does this passage say about that? But I think every day we're interested, we, we come to a new moment and we go, well, this is what I've always thought about this moment. My boss is a jerk. I don't like the people I'm working with. I'm suspicious of you. And I cannot believe that I'll ever get out of my addictions. This is what I've always believed. Would you today have the courage to question your assumptions? Has he made you to be an addict? Has he made you to be selfish? Has he made you to be confused and overwhelmed? Has he made you to be distant from him? God would invite you to question every thought of yours that leads you away from God and away from loving others. Have the courage to say, I don't think that's true. 
and to find a better way of understanding a moment. And in that, the promise of John 8.32 becomes true for us. The truth will set you free. What is the truth setting us free from? I couldn't get that for years. Like, just like, free, free? And then I realized that there's no such thing as a, you know, free, free. Like, if you, if you uh, saying yes to one thing is always saying no to another. So if you're saying yes to casual sex, you're saying no to chastity. So there's no such thing as free, free. What are we being set free from in God's word? Our ignorance and assumptions. This is the best news in the world. I am not stuck being stupid. Somebody has set me free. The living God has set me free from thoughts that are destructive, kill me inside, wreck my relationships. I am free from those because of the truth that's found in his word. Worship team, could you please come up? But here's the problem to receive that freedom is you need to die to your assumptions first. You need to empty the shopping cart and let him teach you anew what the truth really is. Father, I thank you that you have set us free from our ignorance, free from our biases, free from our judgments that just dishonor people and send us down roads that are self-destructive. Oh, Father, we thank you for the gift of truth, for the gift of your word. And I pray that you would give us the courage to give up comfortable thoughts, familiar thoughts, thoughts that we have befriended over the years to question those thoughts, to submit them to you, and to let them come under the judgment of a better source and of a better outcome. Thank you.